Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Josefa Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 What's up, everybody? Another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today, I want to talk mainly about. Uh, the investments that I've made over the years. If you've been following my podcast, then you know that back in 2017, I sold my apartment in Amsterdam. After about five years of hosting there, the regulations had become too tight and I decided to uh, to sell the apartment. And I've since uh, invested in three properties, one in Cali in Colombia, one in the Philippines, on a small island called Carabao and one in Thailand in a small beach resort uh, called Bang Saray. Now these uh, these uh, investments are all uh, newly built, newly constructed uh, units. And so two of them are actually still under construction. The the one in Kali is uh, is finished. I went in ju- in June this year. I actually stayed in, at my own place for uh, for about a month or so. And I've uh, started renting it out in uh, in August. And so in this uh, podcast, I kind of want to give you guys an update on what's going on with those free projects and also quickly kind of discuss why I invested in those properties and what the results are so far. And so let's start with the, the one in Kali, the... You can actually, if you go to my blog, you can uh, you can read in a pretty extensive blog post about you know why I bought it and what were the considerations. And I've also created a page on my blog that's called uh, My Investments that you can find at getpaidforyourpad.com/slash/myinvestments. My dash investments. I'll put a link on the front page as well, so it's easy to find. Um, but um, there I've kind of given a quick overview of the free investments. And then there's blog posts that describe in more detail how I, uh, you know, what I based my decisions on and, and what kind of research I did before I decided to buy these properties. And so there's a blog post called Why I Bought a Penthouse in Cali, Colombia that you can read. And um, also I've literally published a couple days ago, I, I published a, uh, a detailed blog post why I bought a property on Carabao Island in the Philippines. So if you go on my blog, you'll be able to read these. Um, but to give you a quick idea of the the major factors that played a role in my investment decisions, well, first of all, I wanted to invest somewhere where I didn't see any uh, strict regulations coming up. Uh, because you know, I think investing in, in in properties, investing in real estate, is something that you really want to do in the long term, because obviously there's a, a reasonable amount of costs involved in acquiring properties, and there's also costs involved in selling a property, 
And I'm not just talking about the financial cost, but also the amount of time that you have to invest, the amount of time and effort. I mean, I, I pretty much traveled around the world for a year uh, looking at uh, looking at different properties and stuff. I looked at lots of different countries. And so it takes a lot of time to, to invest in a property. So if you're going to sell it within a couple of years, then you know, even if you're getting a good return, if you subtract the costs and the time that you put into it and the opportunity cost of your time, then it's probably not going to be worth it. So you want to have at least, I'd say, like a five to 10-year time horizon. And the other factor that uh, plays a role is, of course, you know, real estate prices can go up and down. And so, you know, if you if you have to sell a place after a couple of years and if you're unlucky, the real estate prices went down a bit, then uh, you're obviously going to, you know, maybe even make a loss. And so because I want to have that longer term horizon, I want to be fairly sure that I'm not going to run into some sort of regulations on the in the future. Um, and so it's not just about the regulations that are in place today. You also want to think about you know, how likely are these regulations to change in the future? And of course, there's no guarantee there could also always be uh, new regulations coming up. Uh, but at least in, uh, in, in the properties that I bought, I'm, I'm fairly sure that I will be able to rent out these properties for uh, a very long time. So that's kind of like the first important uh, decision factor. Um, the second one is, you know, would I would I be willing to spend, you know, a significant of time in that particular property? And the reason I use that as a very, uh, I put a little weight on that on that factor. But essentially, I don't want to invest in the place if if I wouldn't want to spend a significant amount of time there. Like if somebody would tell me like, hey, this this particular property, you're gonna have to live there for the next year. If uh, if if that will cause me to panic, then um, there's no way that I'm going to invest in that property. And then the reason I use that uh, that criteria is because, first of all, um, I imagine that if I would want to spend a lot of time in a certain property, then there must be other people that feel the same way. So that's number one. But also, I mean, you never know what the, what the future brings, right? And so... The, the beauty of owning a property is even if the return on investment isn't as good as you expect, or even if there's going to be regulations in the future where that costs you to not being able to rent it out, or whatever may happen, if you ha own a property as a last resort, you could always just use it for your own pleasure, right? And so, you know, it, it'll, it, it'll save you rent. Like, for example, if everything goes to... Uh, you know, if everything goes to the drain, anything I'm doing, like I'm not able to make any money, um, then, you know, what I could do is I could go live in my place in, in Cali in Colombia. It's a two bedroom place. I could rent out the second bedroom and I could survive, you know, just because I own that property, just from that single property, which only cost me $150,000, like worst case scenario, I could live there and obviously I live there for free and you know I can rent out the, the spare room and make a lot of make a little bit of money on that and then uh, I could probably survive. Now obviously I don't expect that to happen but it's I think it's it's one of the nice things that you know owning real estate gives you that that safety net 
um, especially if you don't have a, a mortgage, if you have cash to invest. And so that's why um, that second factor for me is so important um, because obviously if, uh, you know, in that, in that uh, worst case scenario, if, if I were to buy a place where I would feel depressed, then, uh, I, you know, no matter how bad my situation is, I just, I'm not going to stay there, right? And so um, the third factor is, you know, the return on investment. And when I talk about return on investment, I'm not really talking about the, the price appreciation of the property. Um, because, you know, I, I don't think that um, that's something that you should count on. Now, I know that over, you know, the last 20, 30 years or so, uh, properties have appreciated a lot around the world. Uh, which makes sense because obviously the population is is growing, uh, and so you know it, it makes sense that uh, uh, that you know everybody needs a place to live, especially in places where there's not a lot of space. If if the population is growing, then it makes sense that uh, that properties get more expensive. But I think the other reason that property have properties have gotten more expensive is because they're cheaper to finance, right? If you look at interest rates, especially in the Western world. Interest rates has, have gone down significantly, and I think that has also contributed to uh, property values rising. And so, you know, people s seem to have this idea that when you buy a, a, a property, when you buy a house, it's it's only going to go up, right? And and that's you know that's that's not true. You know, like if you look at a, a longer time horizon, um, property values can definitely depreciate, especially you know if you look at a time span of uh, of, uh, of five or ten years, I mean, you know, if you if you would have bought a property in in two thousand seven in the, in Miami Beach or something, uh, it, it it's taken quite a while before that property has gone back to its original value in two thousand seven. I'm sure. Now I don't know the exact prices, but um, but I'm I'm just trying to what the point I'm trying to make is you know. Don't invest in a property because you're expecting it to appreciate. I think a much better way to look at a look at a property is, you know, how much are you expecting to make by renting it out? Um, and that's, you know, obviously, I look at short-term uh, rental projections, but you also want to take into account like how much could you make if you were forced to renting out in the long term, because again, you never know what happens to the short-term regulations, and so. You know, if this also goes hand in hand with the idea of owning a property over a very long time, because you know, imagine that I own my property in Cali for the next twenty years, and let's say the next five years there's there's going to be an economic crisis around the world, which is actually not that unlikely, I think. But um, you know, let's say the value of my property, right? I bought it for one hundred and fifty. Let's say it goes down to a hundred. Well, as long as I'm not forced to sell it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, what matters most is how much do I make renting it out, and so if people are still willing to pay um, the same sort of like a nightly rate or monthly rate uh, to stay there, then I I don't really care if it's worth what it's worth, you know, because I'm not selling. Um, and so that's really what I look at. And so you know, I want to shoot for around ten percent uh, net return on investment. So that's after costs. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the third factor. So the three factors are, are the, the short-term rental 
regulations? Are they friendly right now? And do I ex expect them to stay friendly in the future? Number two, so would I want to stay at this place for a significant amount of time? And number three, do I expect that I'll be able to make about 10% net return on my investment? Now, if those the answers to those questions are, are yes, yes, and yes, then I consider uh, the, the property uh, to, you know, in, in more detail. Then I'll start looking at other factors. And, you know, I talked about appreciation or depreciation. Even though I'm not counting on the, the value of the property to appreciate, I don't want to be dependent on that. Um, I do obviously think about, you know, the, the, the macroeconomical uh, and, and the microeconomical factors that uh, could potentially influence those, uh, the prices of those, of those properties. And so, you know, for example, two of the properties that I bought are, are near um, airports that are getting, uh, that are being expanded, you know, and that, that's something that uh, I think brings a lot of uh, extra, uh, extra flow of visitors uh, to the region. Now, uh, like I said, if you want more details, um, you, can, you can just read them on my blog. Uh, the blog posts about my property in the Philippines and the one in Cali are pretty detailed, so... Um, there's a lot of other considerations at play, but I'd say those, the ones that I mentioned are kind of like the the necessary uh, conditions, right? If if one of those three conditions isn't met, then I'm I'm not even going to research it. So that's kind of like the way that I've um, gone about uh, selecting these properties. So let's talk a little bit about the the results so far. So you know when I started renting out my place in Cali. In, in August, there, there was a, uh, a couple things that I still wanted to improve before I was going to rent it out in the Airbnb. And well, first of all, let me say that uh, if you look at the blog post, you can see the pictures. Um, the, the company that I worked with, uh, Far, it's called Far International. Uh, I think they're, they're rebranding to Life of Far now. But, um, but they've done an excellent job, I, I have to say. Uh, the apartment is, is, is amazing. Um, so I'm very happy with uh, with the work that they uh, have done. Um, but there was, you know, I, I'm really targeting the high-end customers with my property in Cali um, because, you know, I'm charging a lot more than uh, a lot of other people in the city, right? So I'm targeting high-end clients, people who don't uh, mind spending a little bit more money to get better quality. And so as a result... Everything has to be uh, pretty much perfect, right? The Wi-Fi, the air conditioning, um, and you know everything has to function. Everything has to work. And so there was one thing that uh, I was a little bit worried about, and that was the water pressure. So this uh, this apartment is is, uh, is on top of a small hill, uh, which also makes it very attractive because it it's got an amazing view over the neighborhood, uh, and so. As a result, because the, because of the fact that it's on the hill and it's a, it's the top floor of a four-story building, um, the water pressure in the showers wasn't so great, and that's something that uh, you know that I think uh, has to be fixed. Because if I stay at a property and I'm paying a hundred bucks, a hundred and twenty bucks, where I could also be spending forty, fifty bucks for you know a. a, a a similar property in size, but with you know not as nice amenities. Then I'm, you know, I'm really counting on those things. Now, I'm paying the extra money because I want the, the good AIC, I want the good Wi-Fi, and I want 
um, the the water pressure to be good. You know, like one of one of uh, the pleasures in life is waking up in the morning and jumping in the shower and having a, a you know a strong uh, water flow uh, coming out of the shower is, is important in in having that experience. You want to have a, a five star experience, and so I wanted to get that up to par and. Obviously, that's a that's a, you know that's kind of a, 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 an improvement that takes a little bit of time. You gotta install a water pump in the building. Uh, I convinced the, the the guys at Far to uh, to do that for me, and they're not charging me any anything extra. So that's um, that's really cool. But that uh, that takes a while, you know. I mean, especially in Colombia. I mean, even when I stayed there myself, the Wi-Fi didn't work, and it, it took me three weeks to uh, to fix the fix the internet or. You know, so I mean, things just take a little bit longer, and that's just one of the uh, one of the consequences of investing in in sort of uh, you know outside the Western world is that uh, you can't expect everything to be as organized as uh, as as at home, and so um, it's you know it's not really a big deal. But uh, so I decided instead of renting it out on Airbnb, I wanted to wait for the water pump to be installed and. I rented it out to uh, a couple of friends of mine actually who were in Cali, and so they've been uh, they've been staying at my place and they uh, they really enjoyed it and so they they wanted to stay as long as possible, and so one of them actually ended up staying until uh, halfway through November or so, and and so you know because it was kind of uh, because the you know the water the water pressure wasn't great and. And I, you know, I was running it out to good friends. I, I gave them a pretty good deal, and so in terms of the results, it has actually been rented out. Uh, in between, there was a couple of days where I rented it out to some to some other people um, f- through uh, through Far International's website, actually. Um, but so far, I've calculated, including all the costs, I've made seven point seven six percent on on my investment. And that is after all the costs. So after you know the you know the bills and and you know the administration fee that Far International charges. I, I haven't had to do anything myself, and so that's actually not bad given the fact that I've uh, I've rented it out to my friends at a, at a really friendly price. Um, now this is calculated from the day that I started renting it out, right? So this is if you calculate it from the day I. St- I invested. Obviously, the percentage is a lot lower, but I think uh, that uh, does give me um, good hopes that I am going to reach that ten percent eventually. Because um, somebody actually uh, rented it in halfway through November until just a, a week ago or so. Somebody rented it out for like a month and ended up paying more than three thousand dollars. And I've also got a booking coming up in the next few days where somebody rent- is renting it out for a thousand dollars for a week so uh given the fact that uh that the investment was 150 in order to make 10 percent, i basically need to need to make fifteen thousand fifteen thousand dollars so divided by 12 that's you know then you're looking at uh just over uh over a thousand dollars uh um and, you know twelve thirteen hundred or so and so if somebody pays a thousand dollars for a week then that's uh that's pretty good news that means that in the future, my the the return on investment is probably going to be uh, over ten percent. I uh, I would say. So um, yeah, so it's it's looking uh, it's looking pretty good. Um, as far as my place in the Philippines, um, so this is a, a bit of a different investment. Um, so 
you know, to be honest, like investing in in the in all these properties uh, abroad is is something that's uh, it's very new to me actually. I mean, I've only ever bought one house, and that, that's my apartment in in Amsterdam that I bought in in 2007, and that I lived in for a couple of years, and then I I rented it out from 2012 to 2017 on Airbnb. So I really don't have much experience uh, buying properties, especially not in developing countries. And so, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to share uh, sort of my experience with with everybody is is that. You know, when I first started thinking about investing abroad, I, I felt quite lost, to be honest. Uh, also, I it it feels very uncomfortable to uh, just transfer a significant amount of money to some bank account in some foreign country where you know you just, yeah you have it, it kind of feels like okay this is kind of a gamble. I, you know what I mean? Like if if that money is if I don't ever see anything back, I mean that's a, that's a I don't know how realistic that is and i don't know what the chance is that that happens but i've definitely in my research i've definitely come across examples of people getting scammed out of their money and stuff and so it it feels very uncomfortable to just transfer like a hundred thousand dollars to some bank account in the philippines and then hope that you know someday i'm gonna i'm gonna see some money and i actually own something there um so um yeah it's it's kind of a it's a bit of a, a, a scary thing to do and also, I, I just have no idea, you know, what what is a good investment and and to what extent can you trust people? And because there's all these projects all over the world, right? If you start looking, you you'll find places to invest everywhere. And the brochures always they look really great. And when you talk to the salespeople, obviously they make it sound like it's the you know the best investment, the the opportunity, the once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, but uh, but you gotta you know you gotta be very careful i think and so knock on wood uh, i hope that my investments i i don't i hope that none of them are a scam definitely the one in, in colombia I'm, I'm i'm it's it's on my name and uh, you know the the juridical system in colombia is actually pretty good and the way they keep track of like uh, ownership of houses and and homes and stuff like that so that's uh i'm pretty confident with that one um the one in the philippines i mean it's so that one is a bit uh <laughs> a bit messy um, well, when I bought it in April 2017, it was projected to be opened in August of 2017. I felt like that was a little optimistic, given the fact that uh, the resort... So, okay, I guess I should explain a little bit more what this property is. So, it's actually it's a studio villa, villa in in a resort. So, this is, this is a managed resort, right? Uh, this is a, a beach resort, essentially, that you would book on hotels.com or booking.com. So this is not really like an Airbnb, but still it is a short-term rental investment, right? And so, um, you know, I won't I won't have to do have anything to do with the management. Uh, I'm just gonna get a an eighty percent cut of what the what my studio villa makes. And I think the way they calculate that is actually they, you know, they they calculate the total return of the resort, and then you get eighty percent of that. Because otherwise, like if your if your unit happens to you know not uh if your if your unit isn't occupied for a year um then you wouldn't get anything so they they kind of spread the risk is kind of spread over all all the in the, the investors so 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 yeah so um it's a it's a beautiful place i mean it's it's a small island in the middle of nowhere in the in the philippines it's called carabao island um check it out and 
you can see, you can even on Google you can see some pictures of the resort because the resort it, it is almost finished. Uh, the pictures are there, so at least uh, you know there there's something. But um, it took a lot longer than uh, than projected. Um, there was a, uh, a typhoon that uh, hit the Philippines. Well, I mean typhoons hit the Philippines all the time. Uh, but uh, there was this particular typhoon that uh, that hit this little island pretty hard. Uh, I've actually ex- experienced this myself um, because last year in December 2018, I went couchsurfing in Boracay. And Boracay is the most popular tourist destination in the Philippines. And so I was kitesurfing there and uh, the typhoon hit. And it was, yeah, it got quite messy. I mean, the whole island was flooded. There was like palm trees flying around. Uh, it was pretty crazy. And so you can imagine, you know, if you're trying to build a resort on, on a small island, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, this is really kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's not even a, a big harbor where big boats can can dock, right? All the construction materials, they have to be transported over like muddy roads and, and, and in like these little small boats. And, you know, I mean, if you if you just look at it, then, you know, I mean, you you can imagine that this is going to take longer than expected. I mean, you know, the the projected uh, completion dates there that that's always like the best case scenario, right? There's usually no margin of error that they take into account. And so I I was pretty sure when I bought it, I was like, there's no way this thing is going to be up and running in in August 2017. So I was expecting, you know, it might be like early 2018 or maybe midway 2018. Um, but it's uh, it's taking actually a lot longer than that. Uh, so the projected uh, uh, opening date for this resort is now February 2019. Now the the developers have um, have actually uh, agreed to pay a 10% interest on the investment uh, during during that time. And so you know I haven't seen that money yet. So I you know I will I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but if they do pay the 10% you know during the construction phase then then i guess it uh, it doesn't really matter that it opens that it opens later but in any case um i've seen recent pictures of the resort because one of the other owners has visited and um a bunch of pictures were shared and so it looks like it's definitely almost done the buildings are all the villas are all up uh, they're just working on uh, on the common areas and the roads and stuff so hopefully, hopefully it'll be open in February of 2019, which um, which will be actually great timing because I, I will be in in Asia during that time. Uh, I live in Barcelona now, but I'm uh, I'm do some coaching in uh, Taiwan actually in January, and so uh, I, I might have a chance to to actually stay at my at my little studio villa there in the Philippines and hopefully do some kitesurfing, some scuba diving. So we'll see, but uh, in, in any case. The, the resort is already listed on Hotels.com and, and Booking.com and some other sites, uh, not Booking.com, Agoda, I think it was, um, but uh, at least it's being listed so people can already book for, you know, for future dates. So that's a good sign. Um, as far as my third investment, and, and again, you can go my blog, getpaidforyourpad.com slash blog, and then you'll see the top uh, blog post is uh, contains a, a very detailed description of of kind of like why I made this investment. Now, my third investment is uh, it's a small studio in a new condominium building in Thailand, and it's it's located in a, the small uh, beach resort. It's called Bang Sare, um, and I've actually never actually never been there. Um, you know. 
it's it's funny because when I started this journey, I was thinking, well, I, I'm definitely never going to buy something unseen. Um, but then I actually decided to do that. This was back in the back in January or February 2018. I was uh, I was in Amsterdam and I was uh, I was trading uh, cryptocurrencies back then, and um, that went that was going pretty well. I was you know I was I was uh, making some some decent money, so I was like, well, you know that studio it's, it only cost me what is it like just over fifty thousand dollars, and so I thought, okay, well, yeah, it's it's uh, it's still a significant amount of money, but I just kind of felt like. Uh, as I was, uh, I was, you know, I was making more than I was expecting. I was, I just thought, okay, let's just, you know, let's just take this little bet. Um, so I bought it. Obviously, I mean, I did think about it. I, I did think about a lot of different considerations, the three factors that I uh, that I mentioned before. Um, I know that uh, that small, these small type of of villa of um, uh, villages in in Thailand on the beach. I mean, it's it's you know. It's not the best place. Worst, there's worst places on earth to be, right? Um, I mean, you look at the climate in Thailand, and the and the food is amazing, and it's very affordable. So, um, so I can I can definitely imagine myself uh, spending some time there. And I also contacted some friends who've uh, who've actually been to the to this area. And um, well, actually, the main the main reason I I bought this uh, this studio is that the region is is seeing a lot of foreign investment. I mean, they're upgrading the airport, they're upgrading the roads, and and that I think is going to make the region a lot more accessible to foreign tourists, especially from China. And that played a pretty big factor in my decision uh, to buy the place in the Philippines as well. Is that you know direct flights from China is is something that uh, can really boost uh, tourism. I think because I mean, there's how many people live in China? One point five billion and you know that economy is growing at like six, seven percent. Um, eventually, these people there's going to be a middle class of Chinese people that want to travel, and you know they want to go to the beach. So where where can they go? Well, the Philippines kind of in the in China's backyard, and and so is Thailand. So you know if, with the with the upgrades of the airports, making direct flights from China possible, uh, I think that's that's going to give a big boost, and so. You know, in general, most of my considerations when I buy these, when I bought these properties, have been macroeconomical, right? So they're they're based on on visit, you know, how many people I think are going to be visiting, uh, the the growth in tourism and and that kind of stuff. Because I just don't have the time to, you know, spend a lot of time in in those locations to really like find like a really good deal. And so. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's obviously that's a disadvantage versus versus the locals, right? For example, in Cali, I'm I'm sure you can, if you spend a couple of years in Cali and you wait for the right opportunity to come along, you can you can get a much better deal than I got probably. Um, but you know, I'm I'm limited in my time, and so my whole investment strategy is kind of uh, kind of based on okay, how how do I find a place where I would I wouldn't mind staying myself. Where I can make a decent profit of of ten percent after cost, and where I think short term renting is is going to is not going to be a problem in the future, and how do I find these places without having to spend a ton of time there? Uh, that's kind of like that, that, I guess that's kind of my investment strategy. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that you know, I talked a little bit about uh, about uh, real estate markets and. You know, value uh, values appreciating or depreciating. Well, one 
one reason I invested outside of the Western world is because these markets aren't leveraged. Like I don't want to invest in the leveraged market because obviously then I have to compete with people that can borrow money very cheaply. Like if I were to invest in, in Holland, for example, I'm competing with people that can borrow at like two or 3% interest. And so they can invest 20, 30% of their own money, borrow at two or 3%. And then even if they make 8% because of the borrowed, because of the leverage where they're paying two free and they're making eight, their the return on that investment of the money that they put in that 20, 30% is, is going to be so much higher. And so those people are going to be happy with, you know, probably like six, 7% because with the leverage they're, they're making much more. Um, and so I'll be competing with those people, which obviously put me at a disadvantage because I can't get a mortgage, right? Because uh, I, I don't have, I can walk into a bank and, and, and they'll ask me like, hey, where do you live and, and what do you do? And it's, you know, it's uh, within a couple of minutes, uh, I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, they, they'll wish me a nice day and, and that's it. Uh, I've tried. So, um, so it doesn't make sense for me to invest in leveraged markets. Um, now, there are a lot of unleveraged markets around the world. For example, Colombia. I mean, if you can even get a mortgage there, you, you'll be looking at like 10, 12, 11% 11 interest. Um, but it's also very hard to get a mortgage in the first place. You know, these, these type of countries, they're just the financial system and the mortgage industries is not as developed as, as back, back in the US or back in Europe. And so I'm not really at a disadvantage there compared to the locals. Um, if anything, I'll probably... I'm probably at, a, at an advantage because you know there's not a lot of people that have $150,000 to to uh, to buy a property in cash, right? And so um, that's another thing I, I wanted to mention. But also, you know, in leveraged markets, I feel like the real estate prices are you know are, are more. First of all, they're more volatile. I, I think because you know if if the I mean interest rates in the U.S. have gone up now. I think a 30-year mortgage is around five percent. Well, if you compare that to 4%, it's only 1% difference, but that's a 25% increase in the expense, right? 25% of 4% is 1%. So the cost of um, you know, what you have to pay on a monthly basis in order to um, you know, own a home actually goes up by 25% with just a 1% increase in the, in the rate. And so, I mean, if interest rates go up like 2 3%, that can put a lot of pressure on on real estate prices, right? Real estate prices could easily go down like 20, 30% or so. And because we've, you know, we've kind of been at this in this really low interest rate environment for so long, I just feel like there's, you know, there's not so much upside, but there's a lot of downside in these Western uh, real estate markets because of all that leverage. Um, but in a place like Colombia, it's it's almost like the other way around. I mean, you know, I mean, mortgage rates are like so high that um, as the country develops, it only makes sense for, you know, the interest rates to go down. And if these places go from unleveraged to leveraged, then obviously that's going to put a lot of upward pressure on prices. And so, again, you know, I don't count on on properties uh, to to appreciate. Um, but, you know, if I'm going to buy something, it, it's obviously a consideration. And so that's why it makes a lot of sense for me to to invest in, in, these, in these type of markets. Um, and I think for anyone who, who wants to invest in cash, um, you know, if you're living in a Western 
world, like if you're if you're in the US, for example, and you want to invest, um, if you can get a mortgage, then you could probably get a pretty decent return in you know in the US, right? But if you for some reason can get a mortgage and you want to invest uh, in, invest some cash, then you're probably better off going abroad. So that's kind of uh, the updates that I wanted to share. Um, let's see, I'm already talking for a half an hour or so, it, it seems. So uh, I guess I'll uh, I'll call it a, the end of the podcast. Um, one thing I did want to know, uh, mention, by the way, is you know, I did this coaching call with uh, with Eric. Um, I don't know if you've been <clears throat> reading my emails, but if you have, then I did this uh, promotion with uh, with AirGMS where I was offering a free coaching session um, uh, for somebody who would sign up for AirGMS. And uh, this guy in, in New Jersey won. His name is Eric, and he hosts together with his wife. And uh, she runs this kitten orphanage in, in their Airbnb, which is, uh, which is really cool. She's, uh, she's trying to save kittens that, uh, you know, that have no home. And once they're, once they're good, once they're healthy and everything, then uh, she finds uh, somebody uh, who wants to adopt uh, the the kittens, but basically, and so, but anyway, the the question that came up, I mean, a lot of questions came up, but one of the questions that came up that I wasn't really sure how to answer was, you know, to what extent do you share your space with your guests? So I have always rented out like an entire entire apartment. I've never actually shared with my Airbnb guests, and so this is something that I don't really have experience with, and obviously. I've talked to Airbnb host about this issue, but I always feel like you want to teach from experience and and um, not not so much from secondhand experience. And so this is, you know this is just uh, something that I'm not really an expert on. And so I I decided to send an email to to my email list, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are on that list. If if you're not, um, you can go to getpaidforyourpad.com and there you can sign up for my list and. I'll send a couple of emails a week, uh, typically with with some uh, with some uh, tips and 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 I usually interact quite a bit with the people on the list. Like people respond uh, very much, and so I get a lot of emails, which is really cool. But I've uh, I sent out an email asking other for to other people like how do you to what extent do you share with your guests? Uh, because what Eric was telling me. He said, you know, I don't mind if people come into our kitchen, coming into our living room every now and then, or, you know, play with the kittens and stuff. Actually, that that's something that they encourage. But at the same time, I also don't want people to, you know, just, just be in our living room nonstop and spend like two, three hours a day cooking. And and so how do you how do you set those boundaries? And more importantly, how do you communicate those boundaries? Um, because, you know, the the one thing that I'm I'm pretty sure about. Is that whatever your rules are, whatever you feel comfortable with, you got to make sure to communicate accurately to your guests what they can expect, right? Because that, I mean, that that's the whole the whole foundation of Airbnb hosting is your, you know, you're projecting a certain experience, and uh, and guests they have an expectation of what their experience will be like, and if you if you do better than it than their expectations, then you generally get a really good review. Uh, but so you know, if if it's not clear what guests have access to exactly, uh, then they might have an expectation that's higher than what you're uh, comfortable with, and and that could lead to you know to disappointments. And so, I guess you know you you want to communicate very clearly, but 
But how do you do that in a, in a friendly way? I mean, if you if you put a picture of your living room and you say, "Hey, you can you know you can hang out in the living room, but uh, you know maybe like a maximum of like thirty minutes a day," or I mean, it just doesn't sound very hospitable, does it? Um, and also, the question that I kind of had was, well, my experience is if you show something in the picture, the guest will assume that they have access to it. I learned this the hard way because I, I had a, a washing machine that uh, that broke at some point in my apartment in Amsterdam, and I, I kind of forgot uh, that I had a picture of it in my Airbnb photo gallery. Now, in my guidebook and in my description, I, I clearly uh, mentioned that the washing machine wasn't working and that people, if they wanted to do their laundry, they could go to a, a laundry place uh, near my house. But... What I didn't realize was that, you know, there's a picture of the washing machine in my photo gallery. And so I had a couple of guests um, who came and then they were very disappointed that they couldn't do their laundry. And so, you know, even though it wasn't the description, well, everybody knows if you've been hosting for a while, I'm sure you're aware that guests don't always read the description. And so, you know, if you have a photo of something, then guests typically assume that they can use it and that it works and so if you have a picture of your kitchen or of your, in, in your living room, then I can imagine that a lot of guests will just assume, oh, okay, well, there's a picture of the kitchen, so that means we, I can use it as much as I want. And so do you? the question is, do you show the picture and then do you put in a caption, for example? Um, do, you, do you kind of describe how, to what extent it, the, the guests can use it? Do you say something like, oh, you know, you're, you're welcome to, you know, to make yourself a cup of coffee, but... You know, you not you don't you not have you don't have full access to the kitchen. Like you know, you're not supposed to uh, cook meals or anything like that. Um, how do you communicate those those limits? I think uh, I think that's that's a really interesting question. Um, my gut feeling kind of also tells me that because you don't want to because the, setting the expectation right is so important that it's probably best to be on one one side of the either end of the spectrum. So either say you have no access and then don't show a picture or you show a picture and then just be okay with the fact that they have full access to it. Uh, if you want to be in the middle somewhere, which is uh, kind of where Eric wants to be, then um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just curious, like how do you communicate that in an accurate way without coming across as, 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 uh, as kind of like an, you know, inhospitable, so to speak. Anyway, some people have responded already to that email that I sent out and, so, uh, but I, I wanted to mention it on the podcast and, and see if, if people have opinions on this. Um, if you do, uh, please send an email to jasper at getpaidforyourpet.com. And uh, a couple of days from now, or maybe next week or so, I'll, I'll send out an email with kind of like the general uh, response that I've, uh, that I've gotten. And uh, I will probably also get somebody on the podcast who has more experience with, you know, the, the hosted host uh so sharing spaces with with your guests to get some more clarity on this uh, particular topic all right so that's it for now so the last thing i'll say is happy christmas everybody i hope you have a, a great time a great holidays i will be publishing a podcast next week on uh, on wednesday i didn't manage to publish it on wednesday this week so uh, sorry for that, but uh, next week on Wednesday there should be a podcast. I think that's uh, either Christmas Day or the or the second the day after. They call it Boxing Day in England. I don't know what, what people call it in the US, but uh, 
But in any case, uh, I'll, I'll publish a podcast next week. But, um, but yeah, happy holidays and uh, until next week. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for.